This was, this was uh, several weeks ago, uh, but I was driving back home, so I take the 57 North uh, to go home. And if you go that direction, you have to, it's, you know, there's the 91 right there, so you have to get over a couple lanes really quick. Um, I remember driving, and I look in my rearview mirror, and uh, there's a car that I think they were auditioning for like the new Fast and the Furious movie. They're like, come flying down, and I see they're like right behind me, uh, and I'm like, please don't hit me, please don't hit me, please don't hit me, please don't hit me. And they get, they're getting closer and closer, and they're not slowing down, and I can't get out of the way. There are cars on either side of me, and finally, like at the last moment, they like get right up on my rear end and, and stop. Um, and I was like, what an idiot. Uh, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you going that, like, that close to me? You almost hit me. And I was so mad. Uh, so I did the very Christian thing, and I made sure to show my anger to them. Uh, and uh, so, you know, there's healthy expressions of anger, and then there's, you know, there's a line. And I was on the other end of the line. Um, so there were two thoughts that I had after this. Uh, there was one where I was like, I hope this person doesn't go to our church. Um, that'll be an awkward conversation. And the other part, though, was, um, you know, what came out of my heart was, was uh, so instantaneous. It was, I didn't miss a beat uh, with, with showing my, my anger and displeasure about that. Uh, it was just such a natural thing that came out. And what I started thinking was, this is a reality of um, where my character has not yet been formed. And so what's natural for me is to find a way that I can suppress it so that comes out as little as possible. And so I'm going to hold this back, and then whatever point there comes that threshold of I can't contain it anymore, and I give myself permission, it comes flying out to, to whoever is the cause. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations with people, uh, especially about habitual sin, where it's this, this same idea, where uh, I'm holding it in, I'm trying to keep myself at bay, I'm not, I'm not going to act out, but then when the right stressors come along, when it's been a bad day, when, when my wife was too critical, uh, when the kids were brats, uh, then I give myself permission uh, to act out. And then this comes out, and then we start thinking, you know, where did this come from? And, and this is a reality of an aspect of, of our heart that we try to, to manage and minimize as much as possible. Uh, there's a lot that we could say about this, uh, but today what I want us to think about is there's times where I think that we can have the suspicion that God is like this as well, uh, and especially when it comes to his discipline. I think there's times where we think that God is disciplining me because I bugged him too many times that he just can't help it, and finally his anger that he had on the inside the whole time, he can't fake the smile he has towards me any longer, and he's finally going to pour out his wrath on me that he knows I deserved all along, and he was just trying to hold it back for as long as he can. That I did one too many things, and so now here it comes, and the hammer's coming down. And I think it's, it's hard for us because as Christians, we, sometimes we look at parts of the gospel, parts of scripture, and we think, man, doesn't God seem kind of harsh there? 
Like, God, aren't you being a little bit unreasonable? And especially in the part of Scripture that we're talking about today, I, I think that a lot of times as Christians we feel a level of discomfort about so we've been talking about the kingdom of God, and we've been talking about how this we trace this through Scripture. Uh, recently, we talked about the the United Kingdom era, the the time when Israel was under was under Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. Today, we talk about the time where it's now the divided kingdom. This is a time where we see Israel split into two nations. There's Israel and Judah, and they start to devolve into immorality. And at the end of this era, they're conquered and they go into exile. This is a time where we see God send prophet after prophet, warning these people and telling them to repent, that, telling them about the judgment that is coming. And there's, I think there's a part of us that, that can feel uncomfortable with reading about these prophets and their warnings because we think, isn't God being kind of harsh here? He's talking about the overthrow of two nations. He's talking about the loss of life. He's made promises to these people, and is God revoking promises he made to them? I thought God was faithful and keeps his promises. I think there's a part of us that says, what does this tell me about God's character? Is God ultimately an angry, wrathful God? And when we think of God's discipline and his wrath, uh, discipline and his judgment, it can cause us to feel distrust towards him. What I want to talk about today are reasons that God's discipline should actually give us hope. I want to talk about three reasons why his discipline can be something that we see positively. Uh, the first reason is that God's discipline, his correction, is actually a sign of his relationality. God communicates his will and his nature. He communicates what he expects. He communicates when we veer off course. He tells us this. This is what we see with when he talk, when the Lord is talking to Moses in Deuteronomy 18. We'll have this up on the screen. Uh, in verse 18, he says, I will raise up for them, speaking of Israel, a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I'll put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. The Lord is talking to Moses, the Moses who has led the Israelites out of Egypt. He's, he's leading them to the promised land. And most notably, no, Moses is known for, for being God's messenger and proclaiming the law to them. The Ten Commandments and other rituals and, and traditions and morals that they are expected to live by. He proclaims this to them, revealing what God's nature is like. Revealing what God sees as righteous and unrighteous. Tells them what God is like and what he expects, what it means to walk with God. And he tells them under this Mosaic law that if the Israelites keep these commands, if they are obedient, there will be blessings that they will get from it. That there will be prosperity, that they will have God's protection, there will be peace, even things like they will be able to enjoy the presence of God among them in the temple and the tabernacle and later the temple. If they're disobedient, he says, there, there will be punishment and judgment that comes from this. 
They describe different things of, of, of natural disasters, of, of war, a loss of, of their land, and different things that, that they will lose. It's, it's important to keep this, these sets of judgments and benefits in the context of this covenant versus other covenants God has made. The, the Mosaic Law is a conditional covenant. If, if they obey, they get these benefits. If they disobey, there are these judgments. But this is different than other promises that God has made. Before, God has made a, an unconditional covenant to, to Abraham, saying that I will bless you with land, I will bless you and make you into a nation, I will bless you and make you a blessing to the world. That is never something that's on the table here. Losing that is never something that comes up if they disobey. Later on, when, when God makes an unconditional covenant to David, saying that I will, make, I will preserve your kingly lineage forever, that is never something that is one of the judgments that comes up here. Those two things are unconditional. And so when God disciplines, what is not at stake is their rejection as a people. That is secure. There's even promises of this land of Palestine is theirs, and though they might lose, that a generation might lose the privilege of inhabiting it, it is still theirs, and they, they will be able to come back. It's important that we understand what judgment was on the table here and what was not on the table. And so God tells them this. He tells them what judgment is possible. He tells them what blessing is possible. And he doesn't just reveal this through the law, but he also sends messengers and sends messengers over and over to them that if they start to veer off course, God is going to communicate that to them, that they're drifting off course and he's going to call them back. Moses was this messenger, and as Moses nears the end of his life, God promises that there will be more messengers that come. God communicates with his people in his relations to us, he communicates us through, through the word. He tells us what he is like. He says, if, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you who's communicating to you. Part of the benefits of being a Christian is the church, and you have brothers and sisters around you who will communicate to you God's truth. Even says, scripture even says that if we look at the created universe, that we can see aspects of God's nature. God communicates who he is. He reveals himself. And in the context of this time, this is unusual. Old Testament scholar John Walton says, prophecies in the ancient Near East generally focused on the king's activities and responsibilities. They usually concerned politics, military campaigns, cultic activities. The prophecies were not intended to reveal the nature of deity. They simply functioned to advise the king in a course of action. What was normal was for, for a prophet to communicate to, to a king or to a leader, go this direction, make a treaty with him, go to war with them. This person should be your successor. It was usually related to strategy and decisions. It was not usually related to what is this God like. 
And so for a prophet of God to come and say, let me tell you who this God is, what he considers righteous, what his nature is, let me reveal aspects of this. This was unusual for the time. This communicates that this God that we worship is relational. He wants to know us. He wants to dwell among us. This is what our God is like. There are, there are times in different, different stories in Scripture where you'll even see this where, where someone who is following a pagan God uh, says you can get this sense of helplessness of there's judgment that's happening and I don't know which God is mad and why he's mad and I don't know what to do about it. That, that's not what we see here in Scripture about our God. He tells us what he expects. He tells us what he wants. He reveals himself to us. So there's not a a guessing game that happens when judgment comes. We know what he wants and we know what he is like. I think there, there are times that we relate to God as though we don't know anything about him. Like, are there not times where when we're thinking about God, we think, like, is God not a little bit disappointed with me? Like, is, not, is God not just, like, a little bit irritated? Or, like, when, when you think of uh, the moment that all of our, our time here comes to an end and we meet God face to face, how confident do you feel that God's expression towards you is going to be favorable? Like, how many of you think that when you see God, you feel confident that he's going to have a smile on his face? I, I think that there's a part of us that we, we might know what it says about God, but I think that there's still a, a deep-seated suspicion that what if this isn't really true? What if I don't really know what this God is like? He seems like a stranger to me. When the promise is, if we've placed our faith in Jesus and we've uh, trusted in his promise of eternal life, God's going to be accepting of us. He's going to be delighted to see us. He's going to welcome us and bring us in. And yet there's a part of us that says, can I, can I really trust that? Can I really trust who he says he is? If he's really communicated himself, am I willing to trust that? An aspect of trusting God is trusting what he's revealed about himself. That that's really who he is. And so God's not, God's not looking at us, waiting for the moment to, that he can squash us, waiting for moments that, that we act out, and so he can finally pour out his wrath on us. It's important for us to pause when we have those thoughts and those feelings and say, does, does this square with what he's revealed about himself? Is this really what the God who's revealed aspects of himself, does that really fall in line with how he describes himself? God reveals himself. He shows that he is a relational God, that he can be known. God communicates his will. He's also going to enforce his will. And this is to our benefit. The second reason why we can look at his, his d- discipline and correction positively is that it's actually a sign of his care. During this, this divided kingdom era, God sends prophets to warn his people. He warns them of, the, of their idolatry. 
2 Kings 17. It says, they worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded you, that I commanded your ancestors to obey, and that was delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. They would not listen, and they were stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. God is repeatedly sending prophets. He's saying, you're veering off course. I, you have, we've made a covenant with each other, and you are not following the covenant. But he doesn't discipline them right away. He sends prophets and says, come back. Let me communicate to you where you've gone off course and come back to where you were supposed to be. As the history continues, Israel and Judah have wicked king after wicked king, and they descend further and further into idolatry and unrighteousness, and God continues to call to them. You see over and over God withholding his judgment, saying because of David's faithfulness previously, he withholds his judgment. He buys them time. He says, I'm giving you every opportunity to come back to repent, to turn from this. And I'm telling you time after time through these prophets, this is what I want. This is what's best for you. I don't want to discipline you. God brings up different political and social circumstances that he introduces as suffering to them to try to say, this is what happens if you're going to continue down this path. There's going to be hurt. Don't continue. Change direction. Change course. God's correction, it shows us that he loves us too much to let us get away with it. He loved Israel too much and he loves us too much to let us persist in sin. And so he allows us to experience the fruit of our sin. He allows us to suffer. He gives us discipline but this is for us to come back, to change course, to turn back to him. That if sin brings harm, and if brings harm on ourselves and harm on others, his act of love is to try to help us understand that if we continue this way, it will cause further destruction. See, John Townsend, the psychologist, he says, we change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. Consequences give us the pain that motivates us to change. Many times we have to experience the pain of our decisions before we're willing to go through the hard work of changing directions and making different decisions. And there's times where we see that God removes his protection and that he removes some of the blessings that we should have in order for us to feel the, the weight of our decisions and, and, and suffering. We see this in where it's as though God is saying to Israel, you are worshiping other gods, I'm going to remove my protection over you, and you can see if your idols will protect you. 
You can see if your idols will deliver you from the foreign powers. And there are times that this happens with us where, where God is saying, I'm going to let you see and bear the weight of what you've chosen to do because you've been unwilling to change direction. And sometimes that's what it takes for us to realize what we're doing and realizing how, how destructive some of our decisions can be. I think many, many of us could think of um, a figure that's been in our life who has disciplined us um, or spoken to us directly for our benefit. Um, for me, there, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of my third grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Temple, and she was slightly intimidating. Um, but I can remember in my grade and third grade, there were like, it was like me and two other boys and a bunch of girls. And uh, I can remember uh, feeling at times kind of left out with the other boys and, you know, just kind of insecure. And sometimes that would, I started acting out because of that. I didn't get in trouble a lot, but I can remember this time where she had me, she had me stay in, in, her, in the classroom during lunch. That was a big deal for me to, to get in trouble to that level. Um, and we had a conversation where I remember her looking at me and saying, Daniel, this, this isn't okay, uh, but what, what's going on? Like, you, you can't do this, but, but talk to me. What, what's happening right now? And that, that conversation is very vivid in my mind, and I couldn't understand it at the moment, but later on as I've reflected on that, I think... Man, she loved me deeply during that time. It wasn't necessarily pleasant and comfortable. I didn't really want to talk about that or engage with that or really look at the reality of my decisions, but she inflicted a discipline on me that was a little bit embarrassing. It wasn't enjoyable because I wanted to go out and play with friends and do something during lunch. Uh, but that was an action that showed that she loved me too much to let this pattern continue. I think that many of us could think of a figure like this that's impacted us like that. And when discipline comes from a place of, I want you to understand the weight of and the magnitude of your decisions and where that leads, that is a heart that loves it's not a heart that's just looking to pour out wrath and, and hurt someone and cause some retribution. That's a heart that loves and wants us to be in a better place. See, this is a kind of discipline that is not looking to destroy a relationship. This is not a discipline that is rejecting. This is actually showing that this is discipline that is evidence for a relationship. This is proof that there is a relationship. Proverbs 3 says that God disciplines the ones he loves. And it describes this as like a father disciplining a son. That God, if he disciplines you, what we can look at that and find the hope is that I have a relationship with him and he is doing this because he cares about me. That he is not rejecting me, it's quite the opposite. It's he's showing his love and his, his affection for me, saying, I love you too much for this to keep happening. That you need to understand where this leads and what's going to keep happening if you continue in this. 
God disciplines, and this is a sign that he loves his people. God, as God acts, he has a plan for those for who he is guiding us to become. The, the third point of, of why God's correction can be a positive thing. It, it's a sign of his restoration. One of, one of the prophets uh, during this time, just before the fall of Judah and leading into their exile, speaks of not just the judgment that's coming, but also the new promise and the new covenant that's going to be after that. In Ezekiel 37, he says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Then the nations that know that I, the Lord, make... Uh, excuse me. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. This is, uh, especially in the context of Ezekiel, is a very meaningful passage. Uh, Ezekiel 10 has one of the most heartbreaking scenes that we see in, in the prophets, where it's the scene where uh, it's at the temple in Jerusalem and the presence of the Lord leaves. That you could go, always go to the temple, and this is where God's presence resided physically. And we, you see the scene of it leaves and it goes back. Uh, and what was supposed to be such a, such a uh, key part of Israel, that they were the place where God's presence dwelled physically on earth, that privilege has been revoked. And it's such a heartbreaking scene, but, and Ezekiel, Ezekiel speaks of this, but then he says, this isn't permanent. That God's presence is going to come back. That, and it's going to, he's going to come back and it will be permanent. He will be there forever. There's security in this. He says, in spite of what you've lost, God is seeking out Reconciliation. And not just reconciliation to how things were before, it's going to be better. He's telling Israel, God isn't finished with you. He hasn't given up on you. You did not mess it up too bad or blow it too big with God. That there's forgiveness and God is desiring reconciliation. The purpose of the discipline is not to suffer and experience punishment, the purpose is reconciliation. And God says he's doing this work and he's using his discipline to make you into someone better. He's sanctifying you through this. And he promises that after this discipline, there's the chance for a greater blessing and to experience even more intimacy with him. God's discipline includes the anticipation of his restoration. Um, in, in our house, we uh, have recently uh, entered a Lego phase, uh, you know, with, with my son. Um, Legos are infinitely better than Duplos. Uh, you know, Duplos, there's only so many things that you can do and, like, how specific you can make something. 
Um, the thing is, Duplos don't hurt as bad when you step on them as, as Legos. Uh, they're easier to see. Uh, they kind of stick out. Uh, you have to be able to put your toys away. Uh, you have to be able to keep track of Legos to really be responsible enough to have them and to be able to play with them. And uh, there's a part of me that takes so much joy in my son uh, being able to play Legos because I'm like, man, this is so much better than those big, bulky, blocky Duplos uh, there's so many more things that, like, you look at the Lego sets that are out there, and it's like, man, this is cool. Like, I want to build it. And it's just like, there's a part of me that's, that uh, looks forward to my son uh, being able to be entrusted with more responsibilities. There's things where it's like, man, I can keep giving you Duplos, and, you know, I'm going to spot it, and I won't step on it, and it's not going to hurt my feet, and we're not going to lose them because they're so big. Uh, we can, we can stay there if we need to. But, man, when, when you learn to put your toys away, when you learn to, to keep track of things, when you learn to, like, follow the directions and put things where they're supposed to be and build it the right way, there are some cool things that you can do. It's a lot better than the freaking Duplos. And there's a part of me that's just like, oh, when I look at my son and when I look at how he he matures and learns to follow new rules and learns uh, that there's a certain way we do things, there is an excitement that I have of, man, there is more that I can give him. There is more that I can bless him with. And I'm excited to see his face when he learns about these new things. Like, I'm going to blow his mind when, when, we, when I get him a big old Lego set or when whatever the next thing is in life that, that we get to do. There are things that he doesn't even know about that I'm excited to share with him. But I also have to hold off on sharing these things until he's ready. There's, there's a part of God's discipline where, where he's saying, look, we can, we can keep staying here. We can keep staying here with Duplos. But if you want the good stuff, you have to learn how things work. I have to be able to entrust you with this. You have to mature for us to go there. And so sometimes what we get content with, we're just, we're just going to play Duplos. We're just going to stay with how things are. This is my lane. This is what I know. This is where I'm going to be. And there's a, there's a part where God's like, man, there's, there's better stuff. You know, I, I want you to know what, it, what it's like to have deeper intimacy with me. I want you to know what it's like to have a deeper connection in the church. I want to mature you because there's something so much better than right now. There's somewhere that I want to take you and someone who, where I want to change you and who I want, you, want to make you into, and it's better. And sometimes that, that process of, of maturing, that disciplining, you know, I, my son did not enjoy and does not enjoy when I'm like, hey, pick up your toys, put those things away. That's not, those aren't fun habits to, to learn how to do. But when you learn that, the fruit of that is something that's so much more and so much better, and it's worth it. 
So God doesn't discipline because he's trying to get you back. He's not, he doesn't have a heart of retribution towards you. He's not looking for payback. He's not looking to punish you. You're not taking the penalty for, for what you did. God is disciplining you because he has something better for you, and he loves you too much to let you continue where you are. God corrects his people, but he will restore them, and he will restore them to a greater blessing. So much of how we see God and his discipline and why he disciplines us, this tells us a lot about how we see God. And discipline is something for us to take seriously. It's not something that we minimize or take lightly or say, say it's even a pleasant thing to go through. We say this tells us positive things about God and it gives us a place of hope that it's something that God is using to reveal himself to us. It's something where we see that God has love and compassion towards us, that he's a faithful God. He's showing us that we are his people because he disciplines us. And it also leaves us with the promise that what's going to happen after this is that we'll mature into a place that we'll enjoy better blessings than what we have now. God uses discipline as a way to bless his people.